0: Welcome to another episode of Crypto Free. This is Neeraj, your friendly host, and I'm also the host of Thana Bitcoin Meetup. And today we have Vishal Gupta, who is an evangelist uh, as well as a Bitcoin entrepreneur. So uh, I met him in August 2007 in Mumbai Meetup, Bombay Meetup, and that was a meetup which actually changed my outlook towards Bitcoin and uh, rather than me maybe introducing him, I would uh, hand over the uh, mic to him so that he can go ahead and introduce
1: himself. Hi guys, I'm I'm Vishal Gupta. Uh, uh, I've been working in the Bitcoin space since 2012 and it's been a great journey so far and uh, Over these years, I've worked on multiple projects. One of the earlier projects I worked on was Search Trade. Uh, I've invested heavily into cryptocurrency mining, including Bitcoin, Zcash, Ethereum. Uh, Plus, right now, I'm working on a project which is called Pinex.trade, where we're building a cryptocurrency exchange. And a larger ecosystem where people can host machines in China. Uh, People can buy cloud mining contracts through us. And we're also looking to build a lending platform where people can borrow money against their Bitcoins or
0: the cryptocurrencies from us. Wonderful. So uh, can you tell me uh, your life before Bitcoin? Because uh, I was actually seeing uh, your Facebook profile. And the first 10 things which I saw, uh, let me tell you what I saw. Sure. Uh, uh, the first 10 things was you visited Sweden, you visited Norway, you visited Denmark, you visited New Zealand, you visited Australia, you visited France, you visited Malaysia, Italy. <laughs> so, can you tell more about it? What exactly uh, were you doing earlier? So,
1: I mean, I started my career, uh, I mean, I started working at age of 16 and, uh, started my first company then so my father essentially bought me a computer and learned how to do basic programming this was way back in 98 99 and that time if you remember building websites was a very exciting thing you know every company wanted a basic presence on the internet and they wanted to build some kind of website so you know, I remember why we used to place those ads in midday that if somebody who needed a website so i mean that's how i started and from there uh, by the age of 20, uh, the company was called Cybosis Solutions. By the time I was 20, 21, I had about 45 people working for me. Uh, but unfortunately, that business crashed eventually because I think that's the first business lesson I learned in life: that you have to keep innovating if you're selling one product. Because I think by 2004, nobody really wanted a website. You know, I, mean, I think the world had moved on; uh, people were looking at e-commerce and more complicated solutions, and you know, building more meaningful. Uh, internet presence. People are just presenting that you exist on the internet. People are actually now trying to conduct business on the internet. So, you know, that was a fundamental transformation. And I don't think I was ready for that. I was you know, living in a convenient zone. So essentially uh, that led to a situation where, you know, I ended up incurring a lot of losses and you had to eventually shut down the business. Uh, and, but uh, in the meanwhile, my father was uh, essentially in jewelry business, you know, he used to manufacture jewelry and, you know, so i ended up traveling a lot with my father I started managing sales for him I guess, uh, after this so, i mean and that's essentially uh, allowed me to travel to a lot of places you know participate in exhibitions meet clients and do some kind of
0: those things great great and uh, how did you experience bitcoin for the first time i think there is a story attached to it like you uh, you had some kind of uh, quarrel with your friend uh, about Bitcoin and uh, you thought it was a Ponzi and something like that?
1: Yeah, so basically a friend of mine started posting about Bitcoin on Facebook way back in 2012 and uh, it was an interesting time, uh, you know, I mean, I read about it the first time and I thought it was interesting, uh, but, you know, I looked at it and my first impression was maybe it's a, some kind of a penny stock scam, you know, I thought people... So somebody's built something and they're fooling people, and the people are going to pour in money. So, I ended up having this argument where I was trying to present my case to my friend that maybe this is a Ponzi scheme and he's probably marketing something bad. One thing led to the other, and you know, you know the whole argument by the end of it, as he started explaining me about blockchain technology and the peer to peer network, and you know, that uh, you know, I thought there was something there, and I started doing more research myself eventually I think this conversation or this thread lasted maybe over three or four days and it was quite a learning experience, kind of helped me change my mind.
0: So as you know, a lot of people in India still think it is a Ponzi scheme. So what would be the best answer for them? Research it yourself or maybe something that he specifically told you that you always remember?
1: It was a long conversation, nothing, no specifics. But I think if people spend some time trying to understand how blockchain works fundamentally, because so I, I mean, the fascination for most people is with the value of Bitcoin. But I think once you start appreciating how the blockchain technology works and how it can fundamentally change society, you we'll start looking at it very differently. Frankly, what the value of Bitcoin should be uh, is something that is a matter of debate, you know, to really driven by the market. Whether it's going to be $60,000, $6,000, $600, or even $6 million, it's quite irrelevant. But so the larger implications that the technology presents, you know, that for me is more important. I think there was more awareness of this uh, subject, I think people will start appreciating. So, I mean, me personally, uh, well, I do hold some Bitcoin, so I mean, I would love the price of Bitcoin to keep going higher and higher, but that's not the fundamental uh, game changer. But the, what technology is enabling people to do is store value for themselves. The potential and implications of the technology are humongous. I think at this point we've only scratched the surface.
0: Oh, okay. So uh, also, uh, it's mentioned that you are and uh, cryptocurrency evangelist. Uh, can you tell me what? Exactly, does it mean because?
1: Oh, uh, well, evangelist essentially simply means somebody who is propagating use of cryptocurrency. It's in simple terms. So if you, if oh, okay. you've been over to our offices. You you met us. so kind of meet up events we do, uh, public events where I speak about cryptocurrency in whatever capacity I can and you know whatever time I do have. So I like to go speak to people about you know, basic things we are discussing, how the technology works, and just create awareness in general. Right.
0: Okay so uh, i was uh, just checking out your facebook post and uh, initially i suppose you started uh, with lecture, you started the bitcoin alliance of india and uh, i
1: didn't one- started myself but i was part of the team so i mean back in 2013 oh, you know, okay. it really started taking off you know the, all these businesses like uno Coin, Zeppe, coin secure and you know there were a couple of other guys you know who really were interested in uh, you know building some kind of a situation because there was no real i mean was a very loose industry with, even, I think even today it is still a very loose industry, but in general there was no structure and there was no voice on representation. We thought if we can come together in terms of as evangelists and talk about it, and that was the whole idea of Bitcoin Alliance, you know, we thought maybe we can engage with the government, educate people, make people understand better, better how cryptocurrency works. So with those simple ambitions and goals, we started off with that organization. So one of the co-founding members of the organization, uh, not the founder, founder.
0: Oh, okay. So I understand uh, one of the news actually uh, came on uh, point is that uh, around 250 people, undergraduates actually attended a uh, uh, meeting of uh, in HR college. So uh, like what do you feel uh, the scope is or did you actually feel the scope of Bitcoin in India or uh, you? Had, it was said in the post that uh, uh, you... You were surprised with the knowledge that people had about Bitcoin or the interest shown by people.
1: So I think this was, uh, I think 2014, if I'm not wrong. Uh,
0: 2014, okay.
1: And this was HR HR college. So uh, one one of the, uh, I think, students in the college who uh, was quite curious about Bitcoin, he ended up uh, having a discussion with me and invited me over for this conversation. So I took it up. So there were about 250 people, students in the college who you know there were teachers coordinating and you know we had made a basic presentation about how cryptocurrency works and after that we had a Q and A session and the Q and A session was very interesting because you know the kind of questions and technical questions the students were asking of me I was quite impressed frankly because I thought it's going to be a very difficult subject whether you know in a one hour meeting can you, how much can you explain and what would people understand I was what I realized is younger people understand technology better these days and I think they just end up asking more pertinent questions.
0: Right. And uh, what about the digital asset and blockchain foundation of India? You are also... uh, We
1: started with the DAP fee, but I think now we've converted that into IMEI. So been, because eventually the idea was to get a more uh, structured organization in place so we just you know from Bitcoin alliance moved to DAPFI. but eventually uh, we realized we needed a larger industry association to back up this because been making presentations to the government and taking up laws and uh, you know all of these are very complex and uh, time-consuming processes plus you uh, need a lot of other people with different expertise and that's why you know the, Industry as a whole decided to join with IMAI, and we created a cryptocurrency group under IMAI. Right,
0: and uh, I understand you have been uh, called on uh, on TV shows for for multiple times. Like I've seen you multiple times on TV. So, how has that experience been? Is it uh, uh, are the people knowledgeable or it's just uh, one of those programs?
1: <laughs> no, people are knowledgeable, but what happens is the television tends to focus more on the value aspect in terms of the price activity and, you know, the more generic things. And plus in a television show where you're having a 30-minute conversation or 15-minute or a three-minute spot or a five-minute spot, you can't really end up explaining everything about the technology. Problem is with the format of television where you're typically speaking for five minutes. and There's only so much you can speak in five minutes.
0: Okay. Uh, another thing, uh, since you do regular meetups, I wanted to ask is, uh, I am also doing meetups and one thing, one trend which I have observed in, is in Mumbai, uh, there are people tend to more concentrate on the financial aspect, like it's more about the price of the Bitcoin. If you move this, if you uh, if you speak to uh, a person who has conducted a meetup in Bangalore, uh, the questions will be more on the blockchain. How does this work? So uh, have you observed such a trend? or? Uh...
1: So it really depends on what kind of uh, group are you sitting amongst. I mean, people who uh, in Bangalore, the advantage is there's a huge tech industry. And I mean, the tech pretty much runs in the vein of the city. So you know, I mean, I expect people in Bangalore to ask more. Tech-oriented questions from Bombay being a commercial city or a financial city. I mean, the uh, the basic makeup of people in Bombay is financial-oriented. I mean, like I said, there's, there's nothing wrong with asking financial questions per se. I mean, value of Bitcoin, I mean, if you want to be in a speculator or investor, there's nothing wrong with discovering value and trying to predict what the value could potentially be. But uh, that's from the end-user perspective. I mean, what I am more interested in is a larger impact the technology is going to have over society, which what we call is the invisible effect. Of course, the invisible effect is something that you know will percolate itself on a larger scale. And you know, from an individual perspective, it might be important or might not that be important. So it depends on individual
0: and kind of career they pursue, or, you know,
1: I mean, I don't take those things very seriously beyond a certain point. Okay. Uh,
0: now uh, also you have been associated with a company called Internet Dollar.
1: No, it's not a company, it's a uh, project. <laughs>
0: project
1: sorry uh, so can you tell us uh, more about it so internet dollar we are trying to create a cryptocurrency in uh, just putting it out there we are not doing we are not going to be doing any ico we want to launch this cryptocurrency at zero value so because we, I'd strongly believe that if you want to create something called as cryptocurrency the most fair value to begin any cryptocurrency is always zero okay so, uh, so what we building is a project where we are trying to grapple with uh, social media online uh, Search engines and you know the basic premise being this: there are multitudes of internet activities that we are all indulging in. And to quantify digital labor is still a far-fetched concept. So we're trying to grapple with that idea: so if we can a, quantify digital labor, can we credit that digital labor, and can that credit be converted into some kind of cryptocurrency? and Can that cryptocurrency discover some value? So we've got a bunch of set of principles, economic principles, or monetary system that we're building around it. I mean, the project is still in works. Probably going to take at least another six months before we take it live. So, those are kind of, you know, if you look at the basic premise of internet dollar, we're talking about how we can change uh, internet.
0: And uh, also, like, how did the search uh, trade start? Like, uh, can you maybe, how did the idea come through? And what is the status right now? Like, uh, since you have joined the other companies, you have. uh, since you are involved in other projects, is, is it still going on or
1: uh, how is it? So search trade is going on but uh, I it mean, was a big learning experience. When we started off with search trade, we were looking at how we can create some kind of digital asset because the cryptocurrency already existed something like Bitcoin. We were trying to identify if we can create use cases for a larger distribution of Bitcoin and can we integrate cryptocurrency and utilize the power. At, at that time, Bitcoin, we're looking at something called as micropayments. Uh, what happens is subsequently is the price of Bitcoin has gone higher and the cost of transaction has risen substantially. So, uh, what saddens me is the microtransaction aspect of cryptocurrency that we were discussing in the beginning is kind of, went, kind of went out of window, it kind of affected the search rate. Project because the idea was really this, that, you know, we create a search engine and the revenue that the search engine generates gets distributed back to people for making those searches. Now Those searches were basically very low value and the incomes people would earn out of that it would be in few dollars. And, Sending those transactions over blockchain became eventually a very expensive proposition.
0: And uh, uh, since I attended uh, your meetup in Andheri East, uh, Mumbai, I just wanted to ask you do you still uh, have uh, that? uh, you You still have your office in that place, right?
1: Yes. How is this important? Sorry. What is the context to this question Oh
0: uh, no no I, I just wanted to ask them there was a uh, cafe where i could where you could actually use your bitcoin it,
1: it, it was a staff canteen
0: oh okay so that was the reason I asked <laughs> sorry uh, so what do you think about the situation right uh, right now that is there in India?
1: Well, the situation is very simple. So, I mean, since you've taken away banking, uh, it's kind of affected the volumes and ability of people to, you know, typically for any crypto, I mean, right now we're discussing the banking side, not the technology side. I mean, for the financial side, on the financial side, the moment you disallow people to engage with banking and you can't have exchanges which can accept deposits, it's going to fundamentally dramatically uh, affect the volumes. We can already see that company like Zepay has already shut down business. I mean, their claim is very simple. If there aren't enough volumes, they're not generating enough commissions and the kind of operating expenditures people incur to run an exchange. You, know, you have to achieve a certain volume to be sustainable and to sustain the business. And those volumes are not going to be generated, uh, it's difficult to sustain the business. So, And what it has taken away is conversion to fiat in India. Now, you know, the crypto to cryptocurrency market, what we call a crypto to crypto exchange, there are already such large exchanges overseas. I mean, you don't really need an India specific player. Or a crypto-to-crypto crypto exchange. So, you know, so what we're talking about is crypto-to-Indian rupee exchanges. Going out of the ecosystem is definitely going to have a huge impact, both fundamentally and psychologically. And I think it's going to take a while before this recovers. Uh,
0: now, since uh, you are, were an early adopter of uh, Bitcoin, I think uh, you must have coordinated a lot with the Indian government. So uh, what do you think are the challenges? What
1: we say Indian government are various Indian government departments. Indian government is not one. Yeah. So you're dealing with different departments which are from taxation, uh, to SEBI, to you know, there are various, to RBI, you know, and all of them have their own mindset. And of course the problem in India being there is no coordinated effort, right? So there is no interdepartmental uh, coordination. because various aspects of Bitcoin in terms of legality or regulations or, you know, sustainability will come under various departments and there needs to be cohesive strategy because Bitcoin, again, is a multi dimensional uh, product or system or ecosystem, right? It can be, you can have the currency effect, the commodity effect, the settlement effect, the payments. You know, there are so many things that it covers under one uh, uh, system. You need multiple departments to come together and regulate and uh, come on the same page. It's a difficult task. So uh, my
0: question was very simple. do
1: they understand bitcoin yes they do okay
0: so so where does the problem lie it's about maybe the fear no, just, factor? Oh, so, so the problem is not
1: understanding of bitcoin but in terms of how uh, the legal and uh, compliance framework in india is structured so i mean you know uh, saying whether you know uh, saying that people in government don't understand bitcoin again is a stupid and generic assumption and plus saying that the government because when we say government is never one person or individual that we are speaking with, you're talking with multiple institutions. Even within each institutions, there are multiple point of views and concerns. And to elevate those concerns and come up with a cohesive strategy is always going to be an uphill task. And considering that uh, cryptocurrency is not really a priority for any of these departments, it's not on top of their agenda, so effectively from our perspective it becomes an uphill task again because then you're trying to push the agenda, trying to bring it on top of the table, and it's a lengthy, time-consuming process. In my experience, there is no urgency as yet.
0: Okay. So, so if the Bitcoin price maybe rises uh, well, right now, it's, it's around six thousand. Uh, maybe uh, fifteen days or one month down the line, uh, it, it becomes twelve thousand. Then uh, it is going to strike some uh, alarm bells uh, in the Indian market. Uh,
1: of course, uh, noise always helps. <laughs> So, uh, the, the louder the noise, I think the more the attention. Okay. The last time the price went up, they ended up pretty much banning the banking system. I don't know what they will do next. Okay.
0: No, uh, Personally, I what I feel uh, and would love your uh, thoughts about the same. Uh, the finance minister specifically came up and said, okay, it is not a legal tender. And this was specifically told and However, we do not see anyone from RBI coming through and uh, saying that okay, uh, here is the problem. We are working on it. We are working on it. We just hear sir, uh, circulars after circulars and drafts and so.
1: I have similar complaints to yours. <laughs>
0: okay. Okay. So. Do you, so what,
1: is that the problem? That, or so there's no, see, again, like I said, uh, when you, uh, you have to look at the nature of the beast, right? Again, you're talking about conducting research, looking at laws, multitudes of laws, because the problem with Bitcoin is it's not a singular thing. It's it's a complex product and it will, you know, in terms of how people can buy and sell Bitcoin within India, outside India, what kind of banking transaction, tax structures. There are so many subjects and issues that need to be identified and worked upon and, you know, have some kind of conclusion. I don't see this process ending anytime soon. What government could do in the interim is at least, you know, allow banks to, and, you know, you could still pursue these matters and try and understand. But in the limited way, still allow the business to flourish and uh, allow people to conduct it if they wish to. I mean, that would be my assessment of things. And of course, the government of India doesn't exclusively seek my advice.
0: No, I personally feel that if a person wants to uh, uh, deal in technology, he should be allowed to deal in it. Uh, of course, maybe a person purchasing 5,000 rupees of Bitcoin is not going to do a money laundering. And by... Sorry.
1: Problem being this, by banning banking, you, I mean, people, assuming there are people who conduct money laundering with Bitcoin and most of these people deal in cash, it's not really changed their modest one bit. Yeah. So, I mean, if that was the objective, I mean, I'm assuming that if somebody still wanted to do money laundering using Bitcoin, they really don't depend on banks. At least that,
0: those are the reasons they give money laundering.
1: So the people who did not indulge in money laundering are the people who got banned, but you still don't have a solution for people who actually were indulging in, or maybe are indulging in money laundering. So I mean, it's kind of oxymoronic, but yeah, I guess this is how it works. So actually, is it like, since, did you
0: actually visit places, most of the places that you visited was before you joined the Bitcoin uh, revolution. So after maybe entering into Bitcoin world, did you actually uh, uh, visit uh, any countries outside? Yes,
1: I've gone to China multiple times, I've gone to Dubai multiple times, I've been to Europe a couple of times, I've done plenty of cryptocurrency traveling as well.
0: Okay, So maybe what what is their attitude towards uh, Bitcoin? The attitude is
1: pretty much the same around the world. 90% of the people just want to know if the price will go to 100,000 or 1 million or 20 million so that they can make a right investment and probably not miss the boat. Uh, I enjoy talking more to the people who work on the technology side in general. So I mean, even if I'm traveling, go to these events, you know, my conversation with the people who are working on the tech side of it or the philosophical side of it is always more interesting than the people on the market side. But of course I, that doesn't mean I disregard the market side because I mean, when you talk about the ecosystem, every aspect of it is equally important. It just really comes down to your uh, personal preference and you know, what you want to engage with? you more deeper engagement. You want to understand the tech and the philosophical aspect, uh, or the architectural aspect much better, and probably that both—I mean—that understanding really helps you to build better and more efficient systems and technologies, which again can be put to use for people on the market
0: side. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, what, what, uh, what do you see the growth? Of bitcoins in in uh, in India, or what do you see the future in India about bitcoins? Maybe right now, yeah, uh, due to like, regulation. When we speak about,
1: we're uh, talking specifically of bitcoin or cryptocurrencies or. Blockchain? Cryptocurrency. Cryptocur- I, I think uh, sooner or later, I mean, as this uh, technology evolves and you know, the utility of the technology increases. So I think we have to keep one thing in mind, Bitcoin is not a very old technology. I mean, it's just come into existence in 2008 and we've really seen the penetration over last, you know, in terms of user base last three, four years. And there's a lot of work that is already happening. thousands of companies around the world are building solutions As these solutions get more integrated into our day-to-day lives in our society. The dependency and uh, it's going to be unignorable. I mean, the most governments or institutions around the world won't be able to ignore this so i mean uh, maybe in case of india you know the government has decided on uh, one agenda assuming that uh, or hoping in the next 5 years as this ecosystem evolves it will put pressure on most governments around the world to have a cohesive uh, you know compliance and strategy to deal with uh, this marketplace so now let's sort of, uh, talk about the
0: projects that you're working on uh, first for the Next, uh, hosting, right? So, here you talk about procurement of uh, mining machines, and yes. then uh, can you tell uh, more have, about it? Uh,
1: I have good friends in China, and uh, i partnered with a friend of mine in China. His name is Alex, and uh, you know, he owns multitudes of uh, mining farms. So, what we are offering really is very simple that we, we allow we offer people procurement and deployment services. So, if anybody who's looking to get into mining. Uh, can use our platform, make us a, make payments, purchase a particular machine and get that machine hosted on uh, one of our uh, farms and uh, collect the payouts every day, too. quite simple really.
0: Okay, so this is different from the cloud mining? This is
1: different to cloud mining because cloud mining you're buying uh, a space on the, a machine and you don't even know what machine has been deployed on the backend. Here it's pretty straightforward. I mean it's not a financial service that we offer. We think of us as Amazon for hosting machines. So what we are essentially offering you is if you purchase a machine and you would like to run this machine, we will help uh, run this machine for you and we will charge you XYZ fee to run this machine for you. Uh, it makes, uh, I mean, the, the benefit of this particular platform is, I mean, for example, you know, procuring the machines and deploying and running the machine in China is way cheaper than most parts of the world. And if you particularly come from a country where you might have 15, 20, 30% import duty on these machines. and plus unavailability of spare parts of the machine kind of you know, it's a computer at the end of the day. If you to run five machines, something or the other keeps going wrong every now and then, and you might have to replace a certain part. So availability of spare parts is better in China compared to the rest of the world. The cost of electricity is cheaper. It's just more efficient to run machine in China uh, compared to other places.
0: Yes.
1: So we, we try and take advantage of that and we allow people to take advantage of that situation through us.
0: Okay. Uh, now, just a generic question about the mining. Uh, I understand that there are ASIC chips which help you to mine uh, uh, cryptocurrencies. But uh, can you tell us uh, what are the different in how many different ways can you actually mine? Uh, if I have an old computer, what uh, could I still use that to Depending mine?
1: Depending on what you want to mine. But I mean, something like Bitcoin is going to be impossible to mine uh, Bitcoin with a computer. I mean, you can still run the miner. I mean. You can download the Bitcoin course of QT software on your machine and turn yourself into a worker and start mining Bitcoins. But I mean, the reality is that you're going to go to absolutely nothing because like you're competing against you know, massive machines and thousands and thousands, maybe hundreds and thousands of machines, uh, ASIC machines. So I mean, it's not proven. but there are, I mean, there are some of these altcoins uh, working on you know, different algorithms, some of the script mining related, which you can still mine on your computers. Get some output, but again, that comes down to the cost whether it is profitable to do so. You
0: know, what, what I meant is there are some special graphic parts on which you can
1: uh, do those of script mining. So, you have got different algorithms, okay? Uh, for, uh, every cryptocurrency is based on some different cryptographic algorithm, so there is no one standard cryptographic algorithm. For example, Bitcoin runs on SHA 250, but there is X11, X12, X14, X15, X16 script mining and multiple different types of script mining uh, you know, systems uh, you know, what we call is a hashing algorithm of the encryption uh, plugins that you know you can implement on any particular cryptocurrencies and they have their own so you know depending on what coin you're looking to mine when what algorithm uh, based on what algorithm they're running the encryption uh, you can choose different machines and of course mining is slightly more complex because you're looking at a the machine ability the yield and the price and the cost so you know there are, you factor in all of those things you're going to come to some conclusion uh, yeah, now you, i think what i understand by your question are there any coins which can be mined on computers i mean there are i think most of the script mining coins like zcash and ethereum you can still mine them on, mine them on your computer but i think the yield you're going to get is going to be so negligible that it's not
0: going to be worth your time okay now uh- There have been uh, news that uh, the price of Bitcoin is uh, determined by most of the miners. A lot of people say that. Uh, What they say is uh, there is a certain price below which it will not be profitable to mine Bitcoin. So that would be the resistance level for the Bitcoin. So do you support that or uh, maybe you can... uh,
1: it's not as simple as that. I think what people don't appreciate is the size and scale of the market today, it's not the market that it was in 2013, 14, the amount of money that is floating around the number of actors in the marketplace have gone up. And we're not talking about small actors, you're talking about large actors, it's gone up exponentially. There are hundreds of people who influence this market. So, I mean, it's a very dynamic marketplace. So, I mean, so based on theories, you can make all kind of assessment and assertions. Reality of the thing is it's a robust marketplace. I mean, look at uh, on-chain FX and you realize there are 600,000 active Bitcoin wallets, you know, which are transacting every day. That's a huge number. So mean, the number of so many number of active, so we're talking about half a million to a million active users a day. And these people are moving some quantity of Bitcoin, you know, left, right and center you know, for whatever purposes. So in, there are people who want to buy into bitcoins. There are people who want to sell bitcoins. People who want to cash out their bitcoins. People who need it for you know running their businesses. There are so many activities and you know things which are involved around bitcoin. I mean, to define price on a singular parameter. I think at this point in time, it becomes quite uh, counterproductive. You know, and then you, the second allegation, also one that you know people say that there is, the price of bitcoin is managed by some large whales. But the, that's the case in every single market, and the whales. Uh, I mean, uh, in most cases would like the price to go higher, not lower, because I mean, if they're sitting on an asset in long term, they would want to see the price of the Bitcoin higher, not lower. Uh,
0: now, also I understand right now, uh, this is the stage one where all the retailers have entered into the Bitcoin market uh, and every day I hear news that, okay, institution, institutional uh, People are ready to put their money there, so I feel that is the stage two. and that's where when uh, the Bitcoin price is going to arise, according to me. So, do you uh, support the same so or do you have a different? So what
1: view? we mean by institutional investors in traditional sense, we're so talking about financial services businesses that okay. that could include your banks, mutual funds, investment funds, private uh, funds, and you know all kind of. Uh, Sovereign funds, or you know, all these kind of different funds and institutions which are financial institutions, if they find Bitcoin interesting and in uh, Bitcoin is an interesting proposition, and whether and if they would start pouring in money and start storing Bitcoins, seeing some long term potential. But I think that is already happening, it's just uh, what we don't realize it's not happening at a larger scale. I mean, one of the key components that we keep discussing within this eco space is ETFs, exchange traded funds that you know, if they. ETFs are launched in America with, that will attract a lot of capital. But uh, I'm skeptical. I do believe that ETFs, particularly if the retail level ETFs are made available and uh, the institutions have a much easier time. But I think for institutions you have to appreciate one fact. There's Particularly for financial institutions, they never want to be in possession of any assets. So even if they invest in gold, for example, they are investing in gold ETFs, and the actual ownership of gold is never with them. They're owning, and it's stored at maybe some other facility and what we call the custodian services. Now the problem of uh, Bitcoin is we, you know, there are companies like Coinbase and uh, BitGo and few larger companies who build enough infrastructure which allow people to have some level of confidence when they store their Bitcoin with these people. But it's not a foolproof. Uh, Proven uh, system as yet, and I think we are getting there. And I, I think as a custodian services, particularly the companies which are investing heavy uh, amount of money in building better networks, nodes, and node security and processes to ensure that you know the safety of Bitcoin is there in terms of their store, will allow ETFs and other products to come into market, and through which I think institutions might mean incentive and ability to invest in the market because they, I mean, institutions just want to invest capital and get the capital out. They really don't want to be in possession of the commodity itself. That's one challenge. Now, whether ETF will come or not come and what impact will it have on the market is a matter of debate and speculation. So, I mean, I mean, the most common motion being that if institutions do come in, the price of Bitcoin should go higher. In theory, that is correct, but you know, years of working, I realized with experience. You can only assess that when you get there because the I mean, institution is not a singular beast. Again, there are thousands of institutions. What strategy do they deploy and you know how they go about it is something that you, you will have to observe.
0: I think uh, there are nine ETFs uh, whose decision has to be taken by October 26 and there is one ETF uh, uh, whose decision is uh, to be taken in December 2018 and more ETFs to
1: come. I mean, I mean, I can't speak on behalf of government <laughs> people working in
0: uh, This was the a news.
1: <laughs> so uh, assuming that I've been hearing these news for last, what, the ETFs have been in the place for three, four years now. So okay. it's not something new so, and they always keep getting delayed or some problems. So I mean, it, it will happen when it happens.
0: Okay. Now uh, talking about the smart contracts. Now, uh, There, there was uh i read some uh read in the news that rsk i think uh, is working on something where they're developing smart contracts on bitcoin so uh just like in ethereum has the smart contract you would also have a smart contract on bitcoin so So,
1: there are multiple uh smart contract platforms which are competing against each other. So the whole cryptocurrency or the crypto business as we call it can be broadly defined into multiple coins. So I mean at the top of the food chain is your cryptocurrency, is a coin with its own chain with a singular function of just settling transactions. Or there Bitcoin essentially is an undisputed king, right? Because I mean you don't if one chain works perfectly well, why do you need a second or a third chain doing the same thing? So that's one argument. The second is where the competition is much greater is on platform tokens. What we end up calling them as platform tokens, which allow you to create various and different type of uh, contracts. So you have Ethereum, NEO, uh, EOS, uh, WAVE, and you know, all of these things, uh, they're competing for the same share. And we, right now, uh, current market situation, Ethereum is the leader leader of the pack in terms of valuation and adaptability because it's the second most used chain after Bitcoin in terms of active users. So uh, other guys are still competing, coming up with ideas. And I think one of the fundamental challenges with the, the platform token, especially with Ethereum, what we realize is ability to uh, manage more transactions as you know, more ERC20 tokens got created on top of Ethereum. Uh, and, uh, you know, The number of transactions on the Ethereum chain kind of kept going higher so that to keep increasing the gas or the price of transaction, cost of transaction, there was obviously a limit to a number of transactions the chain could potentially handle. I think uh, for competing uh, platform tokens, I mean, there is no dominant player as yet and the space is still open. I think any of these uh, platform tokens can uh, potentially take over. Uh, The fundamental is how are we going to scale up uh, transaction quantity on these platform uh, tokens and keeping the decentralization in place is a real challenge. I mean, you look at something like EOS where they say they've created this 21 masternodes, it kind of leads to some kind of a semi-centralization. Now, whether the market would accept that kind of centralization and whether they can work within some legal framework is something that is a matter of debate and you know of study. And, you know, like I said, the platform tokens are still an evolving space uh, and people should understand what is a smart contract really is essentially what you're talking about is uh, autonomous self-executable uh, port, okay. For example yeah, so it's not rocket science in that sense. what we're essentially talking about writing up an executable contract executing it through a blockchain based on certain parameters uh, and the implications are great but I think the, one of the second challenges is how do you execute contracts which might entail some activity in physical world right now most of the uh, smart contracts that we speak about uh, are still not flawless but they still only work within the space of digital world you know settling digital transactions or exchanges so I mean yeah, it's an evolving space.
0: Yeah. Uh- I know that you don't like predicting the price for Bitcoin. I think that is, you have openly said that is the most annoying question that someone (laughs) asks. But let me frame it in a different way. Uh, Will McAfee have to, uh, (laughs) uh, or will McAfee's prediction come true? Let me put it another way. What
1: we realize with Bitcoin history is every four years we have something called as halving where the production of Bitcoin kind of goes down. So the next halving is going to be somewhere in March 2020. Now my expectation is we're going to see some kind of uh, price action on the upside. Uh, how much of an upside, whether it's going to be 2x, 10x, 100x, or one. I mean, that's something that we'll have to observe. But my assessment would be we're going to see a price movement every time a halving
0: comes around. So, uh, since you talked about halving, uh, let me throw some situations to you. Number one situation, uh, UK separating from the European uh, Union, uh, that's happening in March. Second is the halving that you talked about. Third is maybe a financial crisis that may come in 2020 or 21. What? do you think uh, will have the maximum impact on the price?
1: None. None?
0: Okay. (laughs) Uh, because
1: it's because that basically is implying that there is no value in the cryptocurrency ecosystem and it is depending on failure of the other world for it to deliver value. We can't pitch it as an alternative. it has to find its own value and it's only going to succeed on its own value, not by diminishing value of another system and if your value value of your system is greater than the other system, the adaptability will come eventually so i mean we still need to focus on building infrastructure products and services that make it easy to you know integrate bitcoin into our day-to-day lives that's still work in progress so i mean there is a long way to go and I mean, we need to be a bit patient and like room was not built in a day neither is a cryptocurrency infrastructure going to you know the kind of infrastructure and services we need integrations we need are not going to happen in a day but i would i can safely say a decade from now when we want to have this conversation again bitcoin would have become essential part of Everybody's life. Not when I say essential, that means something that is a complete option. to Pretty much, execute all functions. Uh,
0: now, a question about the mining. Uh, like, what do you feel about the energy consumption that is used in Bitcoin mining? Like, uh, a lot of people have said it's not good for environment. Uh, while other have, while other have other views. So, what what is your stance on it? And how do you see mining? Uh, to be done, especially the energy uh, that is utilized for mining in the near future.
1: My second question would be how many computers does an average bank run? Is it into millions? And how many, I mean, what are the biggest clients for Microsofts of the world and the Sun Microsystems and Oracle's of all the other banks? And how many machines around the world do banks deploy? And how much energy you know, does the banking office consume? If you look at the diminishing value, and if you're building an alternative banking system, and it's still consuming electricity, is it greater or lesser than the entire banking infrastructure around the world?
0: Uh, like uh, I, I actually saw in one of your interviews that you're organizing, or rather, you had organized a crypto tour around India. Uh, in no, it was Jan- not.
1: No, it was not my plan. It was Amit Nirwanaithi's plan. Oh,
0: okay, Amit. Okay. Any questions up till now, guys? Just type in, in the chat. Uh, like I wanted to understand which stage are, of technology cycle are we in. First comes the innovators, second is the early adopters, third is the early majority, fourth is the large majority, and the last is laggards.
1: So we are in the early majority phase, I will Early majority, Okay. Uh,
0: can you tell us something about the... Uh, yeah, we the have experience. to ask
1: ourselves a very simple question. Mm-hmm. How many things in our life is Bitcoin really making easy and what are those things? And you know, are those things increasing day by day or are they decreasing? As the, you know, like the services that make our life easy, using cryptocurrency, expand and become more reliable. Uh, I think we're going to see that from early adopter. I mean, the adoption to you know early majority to major that transformation is going to happen only with infrastructure and services becoming more readily available. Uh, can you tell us more
0: about the about
1: the exchange that uh, we are working on? So, binance is nothing but another crypto to crypto multi currency exchange that uh, we have created in, uh, We hope we can do well over a period of time again, like I said, it's not an India centric product, it's a global product and assuming my experience in the industry, I'm hoping that I can translate that into some kind of a success with this exchange.
0: Okay. But I think the speciality of that particular exchange was that you were going to give whatever profit that you do, 70% you're going to pass it on uh, to the consumers.
1: Uh, yes, we, we've created something called as a Bex token. But we have said that whatever trade that happens on our exchange, seventy percent of the commission will be sharing it with the Bex token okay. so I think one of the questions is what's thought on RBI pegging its own cryptocurrency to AI. But I think RBI is already doing that. All the money that you're using in the banking system is nothing but a centralized coin infrastructure. So I mean. Uh, digital money is not something you will government of India ever allow rupee to float on a decentralized platform RBI or government of India is just illogical. So I mean they're never going to create a decentralized uh, system now if they're not going to create a decentralized system the database based money already does exist. So I mean there is no real
0: need for RBI to do so Now uh, this is a choice that I want you to make Bitcoin versus Bitcoin cash. So Bitcoin. Bitcoin.
1: And why? It's pretty obvious. It's a, it's a chain with a larger majority and the, the, the differential between two chains is marginal. And in terms of trust and history and uh, public adaptability and plus I think the lightning network coming into the picture. It's just pretty pretty much going to make everything else redundant.
0: Okay. Because many people say that that's actually maybe... Uh, differing from what Satoshi Nakamoto had actually said in his white paper, so. Uh,
1: Sa- Satoshi Nakamoto, k- Nakamoto created a technical white paper, not a philosophical.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, if from, I actually encourage people to go and read that paper. If, if, if you do, do not come from tech background, you'd struggle. Sure.
0: Can the RBI consider a commodity back point?
1: They already are doing that again. Like I said, the, the fundamental difference with cryptocurrency or blockchain and non-black blockchain is centralization and decentralization. We already trade commodities on MCX, which is nothing but tokenized assets, right? I mean, you can trade food grains, gold, silver, and all of existing commodities on MCX. And the experience is no different to trading on any cryptocurrency exchange. The fundamental is storage of wealth and whether government will allow people to store wealth on a blockchain, on a decentralized platform, and basically recluse itself of its own function.
0: So uh, what, is, what are the challenges that you see in India? Apart from the regulation, uh, what are the challenges that you see in India? Maybe, maybe when you do a day-to-day talking with people or when you speak to a common man? So the challenges what, in the sense of what? Maybe understanding of Bitcoin or Realize it's a
1: new and complicated product and the education is going to take time. But that set aside, I mean, people don't know how RBI functions. People don't know how McDonald's functions. People don't know how Starbucks functions and you don't even have to know. So the key to technology is, I mean, uh, I use my mobile phone, which is my smartphone. Solves a lot of problems in my life. I really don't have to know how Android uh, operating system works. So the key, again, like I said, in terms of adaptability, it's not just an India-specific problem, but it's a global problem where, you know, as most services get integrated that make your life easy, uh, the adaptability will rise. Because, I mean, when we make arguments about cryptocurrency that's going to make our life easier, so that ease of existence has to come into practice. It cannot just be a jargon for eternity. And I think there are a lot of companies around the world which are building product services and platforms which are enabling that. And I think the time, like I said, as the services grow, you will see that impact.
0: Now a question about the ICOs, now a lot of people say that, uh, okay, they have an existing product uh, in an ICO and maybe uh, they are, uh, then it is good to invest in an ICO. That's what many people tell you. The second set of people say, oh no, uh, uh, the team looks good, It it, add, it has a good backing. So let us invest into that particular ICO. So what are your thoughts or what
1: do you look in an ICO? So ICO is essentially, when you invest in an ICO from a traditional perspective, it's essentially what we call is an early, basically, uh, we call it angel investing in traditional sense, where you you have a young person who's got an idea that he's probably going to build us some kind of a product and a service which can potentially turn into a larger business. Uh, you know, and that's why you should support this business. And in a traditional sense, you would have in uh, your mother, father, uncle, or some professor or somebody who really believes in you, give you a seed funding or maybe, you know, some lakhs or crores, depending on whatever business you're pursuing so that you can get, get off, get it off the ground, build something, and then go and raise more capital. In case of ICOs, the problem is it's been funded, feeding, feeded by greed. You know the business uh, logic has pretty much gone out of the window, and the only value matrix is whether the price of a particular coin will rise, and that's the only uh, thing that people are chasing. So I mean, uh, I have fundamental problem with uh, raising funds uh, through ICO, and you know, are we incentivizing? Because I mean, for example, if I'm a young entrepreneur which going to do a 50 million dollar raise, and I actually end up collecting those 50 million dollars do I still have an incentive to pursue that work and hard work? Because I mean, normally people work hard when they don't have money and then they have to fight for every penny. If you already made somebody's life comfortable by giving them shit tons of money, are they even going to pursue through with their goals? So I mean, there are real philosophical issues with ICOs and you know, fundamental and plus most of them just have a website. And I think that's, it's not that complicated, right? It's like stock market when a new IPO comes into a stock market, you want to analyze each company and each business on its own merit. And then same is the case with ICO. And we do realize just like in real, I mean, Physical world where ninety five percent of projects, ninety nine percent of businesses will fail. And We talk about restaurant business where the failure is ninety eight percent. We talk about tech industry where the failure is ninety nine point five percent. So I mean, cryptocurrency industry or you know projects are no different to real world, I and mean, you're going to have that ninety nine point five percent failure. I guess as an investor, you just have to be wise. You want to see people with track record, and you know assessment, team, motivation, intent, because I mean, just by having a greater team doesn't mean, I see a lot of ICOs where, you know, you see a lot of great people on team, right? You don't really know the level of involvement these people have with the project, whether they've committed to the project full time, and most of them seem to be advisors. So the problem I have with advisors is advisors are not really doing any work, just advising you. And, And last I checked, a business doesn't run on advices but actual work. so You really want to know how many people on the team are doing some real work? Another thing, a trend I've seen is, you know, people will take the entire office uh, staff and click pictures and put it up on an ICO website, which the a team of 15 people. I'm assuming there are companies with 5,000 employees and you still don't want to invest in those companies. So the number of people that work in a company, again, is quite irrelevant. You want to study the business on its own merit and whether the team has, you know, the, especially people right at the top have the experience to execute uh, and bring something to a logical conclusion. I mean, they can still fail. But at least you know they tried hard, and that's where the crux of the problem is whether the intent of the ICO is to take money and run or to do work and fail or succeed.
0: Okay, now let's suppose uh, I'm totally new to a a cryptocurrency field and uh, I'm here to make money. Okay, so uh, strategy number one uh, I do not have the technical knowledge, I just go to coin market cap, see the first 10 points and maybe invest some money in that and hope that uh, it goes through strategy. Number two, I go to the ICOs, maybe invest in those ICOs and hope uh, that one of them clicks. So uh, what strategy would you follow or follow the
1: same strategy I follow in stock markets. How do you decide what stock you should invest in? If you're a retail investor, you're not a market analyst all retail investors even in traditional stock markets are not market analysts they really don't know what the company is doing in the inner working they basically understand the business the company the credibility of the business and when they invest they always say invest for long term not for short term and the problem here is most people you know I've got addicted to this. 5x success, I mean the 2017, we saw that 20, 30x growth and I think people have kind of got addicted to it and they're trying to, you know, essentially just find the next thing that will grow for 20x. Uh, I wouldn't call that a very wise investment strategy.
0: Now, uh, what about your background? Like uh, your, uh, For example, I find it very difficult uh, to explain the Bitcoin to my mom because she relies more on the news that you... Normally see on the TV. So is it the same everywhere? Like it's about the generation, that particular generation that are having this uh, problem who rely more on the news. Maybe that. I have a problem
1: with this question itself. Okay. You don't explain people; thing you make people experience something.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So, so can you find, Can we identify? I mean, you know your mother well better, and I know my mom well. Can I find a use case that? Would attract my mother to Bitcoin. Okay. She doesn't have to know how Bitcoin works
0: anymore. No, no, she reads the newspaper and she sees that, okay, this man is arrested, that man is arrested. So she is not confident to invest. <laughs> That's why I'm asking.
1: Oh, Again, people should make their own assessment and reason. I mean, like I said, people have different, different people have different reasons why they want to invest in something. Okay. As long as your motivations are right and you're, I think any investment you make in anything in life, you should always have a long to medium term view. It can never be a short term investment. Now, of course, the public perception based on media is something that, you know, we are trying to do through education try and explain to people that how this whole ecosystem, it, it is complex. So, rather, I mean, like I said, I don't get excited about people investing in Bitcoin, for me it's people using Bitcoin. But that, that's something that is more exciting as opposed to people investing in Bitcoin. Or as long as you keep building systems that allow people to use Bitcoin into their day-to-day lives and keep creating more utility, you won't have to answer such questions in long-term. Okay.
0: Uh, so uh, like if you have maybe a dynamic uh, portfolio, uh, what, uh, how much would you allocate in your uh, cryptocurrency?
1: My cryptocurrency will never exceed 10% of my portfolio at this point in time and that again is extreme for a new investor, they probably shouldn't be allocating more than 2%, something that you want to get into understand and I think the first investment you will make in cryptocurrency will enable you to give you motivation. Uh, I mean, I'll give you a very bad example, but I think it probably, it's like uh, some people are genuinely not interested in cricket, but start betting on a cricket match. They'll start analyzing everything and studying how cricket works. So it's, a, it's something very similar to that. I guess uh, if you have already invested in some cryptocurrency, you have those coins, you see the price moment. You're probably going to start reading more, analyzing more, talking to more people and you know trying to build your generic knowledge base over time.
0: So, uh, last question is, uh, I think uh, we have a question from Sudeep, Uh, actually his mic is not working so he has to type it. We don't need a Gini
1: coefficient index for Bitcoin, it's not a a sovereign currency and it's still a young ecosystem and the impact is very uh, normal. So, I mean, uh, yes, you can apply the Gini coefficient mathematics on the Bitcoin ecosystem, but uh, and it's still uh, very early and I don't know what, how that how a professor has come to that data and what kind of data set has he, what principles has he applied as base data. So, I mean, yes, it sounds like a very interesting question, but in reality, it has no significance at this point. But like I said, we haven't really changed the world yet. We are in process of changing. the world. Once we do become a genuinely global product, then you can take the whole 7 billion population and start applying some Gini coefficient. See, right now we're talking about a, not more than 2 or 3 million active people around the world.
0: Now, I uh, just wanted to ask you, now I run this Thana Bitcoin uh, meetup, so as a person who has been in Bitcoin for very long time, what, what would you uh, suggest to maybe all the meetup uh, organizers, uh, what's the best way to go around? Like, uh, get people together, let them talk. <laughs> get people and let them talk. Okay, Awareness.
1: Awareness, right? I mean, people already know what they want. The fact that somebody showed up at your meetup, you already know that they're interested in the subject. Now, of course, they put tons of questions in their mind, uh, which could be market related, technology related, related. But again, none of us can answer that question in entirety. And the only way we can solve these queries is by allowing for a conversation to take place. And as long as people interact with each other, there is incentive, there is community building and the kind of self reinforces itself.
0: That's it. That's uh, it from me. Any questions, Sudip? Okay. So, Vishal, uh, do you have any questions for me?
1: <laughs> no, I don't have questions. I have just uh, like to congratulate you and wish you all the best in whatever you're pursuing.
0: Thank you, Vishal. Thank you for taking out your time. Have you're
1: welcome.
0: Have, have a great day. Bye bye. That's the end of episode. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you have liked the podcast, please subscribe to it. If you want to get in touch uh, with me, I'm mentioning my links in the description box. Just check it out. Thank you.